0: Yeah, we welcome to Fast Up uh, First Up it's Fast Up I've got to read this quickly it's Ramere Friday the 10th of February Ko Nathan Aho coming up we will be live in Turkey the death toll there now stands at more than 19,000 from the earthquakes Bevan Hurley is with us from the United States to talk about balloons and an upcoming big game of sport the ACT Party reckons that people don't need to be earning $22.70 minimum wage in order to get by so we'll ask their Deputy Leader Brooke Van Felden if She could survive on that. Glenn Forsyth is with us with his fruit and veggie report as North Island growers brace for Cyclone Gabrielle and we'll be joined in the studio by a man who's helped save over a million of New Zealand's most important photographs. maria, welcome to first up. It's Nathan Aradita here. Uh, I was just having a look there through populations of New Zealand cities. Whakatane seventeen thousand, Taupo thirty two thousand. Uh, Gisborne, 19,000. Just to give you an idea there of that, because the official death toll so far for this week's earthquakes in Turkey and Syria now stands at 19,000. That's how significant this is. With us in the disaster zone is News Hub's Europe correspondent, Lisette Raymer. Uh, Lisette, thank you so much for joining us there. I'm just wondering if you can um, tell us where you are and what the situation is.
1: Yeah, I mean, doesn't that put it into stark perspective for everybody? And and that certainly is the feeling we get on the ground. This is a very, very significant disaster. I'm in an area uh, called Iskandarun. It is about an hour's drive from the epicentre, but you wouldn't know it. You would think that this is as bad as it could ever get. There are buildings... Flattened everywhere you look. There are thousands of people displaced on the sides of the street, huddling around fireplaces, trying to keep warm, uh, watching as their loved ones and their neighbours are pulled from the wreckage. A lot of people hoping that on day four there could still be a miracle for their families, that their loved ones uh, will be the next to be lucky enough to have one of these survival stories that are just keeping everybody going at the moment. In fact, I witnessed one today myself. A man was pulled out of the very bottom of an apartment building that had completely pancaked. Uh, He has survived four days under there in the bitter cold weather and he has survived. And I spoke to the paramedic that was treating him and she assured me that he was going to be okay. So there's those stories there that are keeping people going, that are keeping people committed to the search and the rescue. Uh, But certainly the scale of this calamity cannot be understated. You, You liken it to wiping out an entire... Uh, New Zealand ca- town and, and here certainly it seems like the death is just overwhelming
0: yeah, and horribly of course those numbers will, will more than likely rise I, I see the president there of Turkey he's visited affected areas yesterday and accepted that yep the government response was lacking and he's also declared a three-month state of emergency um has he d- done anything that will or has he said anything that might in- improve things or you know that they can help with their response <laughs>
1: This has been a huge thing, right, this huge frustration and fury from people over the delayed government response. So it wasn't until about day three that we started to see soldiers and Defence Force members helping with the search and rescue. Turkey has a massive army. Uh, We haven't had a lot of professional help on the ground. There has been mostly volunteers I spoke to. Uh, a group that were running the search and rescue operation uh, in this city today and they said we don't even have body bags we don't even have helmets we don't have the most basic of equipment that you need uh, to be undertaking an operation like this they are really just uh, local residents who were lucky enough to survive who are now doing their utmost uh, to save who they can and also give the dignity uh, to the dead who so so deserve that so a lot of frustration at the president the president as you say has visited and promised that he will do better uh, that they will get these people the help that they need that they will make sure that uh, the roads are cleared enough that the aid from all of the international countries who have come to join and offer the support uh, the roads are open so that they can all get to these areas, which are and what people on the ground are experiencing
0: uh, what you know? That's that's Turkey. I'm just wondering. Syria, of course, uh, was affected by this. We, we don't want to forget them. What do you know of Syria?
1: Syria is obviously. I mean, that's that's a double crisis, a double emergency, an emergency within an emergency, an area that has been, uh, you know, living with a deadly war for over a decade. The area that has been hardest hit in Syria. Uh, is kind of the hub of that war crisis, refugee crisis there. 4.1 million residents, women and children already relied on humanitarian aid in this particular area now they've got this double crisis of having this earthquake uh, completely rattle their their homes, their foundations and their lives. Uh, a lot of them already live in, in tents and, and campgrounds and, and now they're completely cut off from Turkey where they used to get a lot of their aid because the Roads have been so uh, badly damaged in this quake. So there is a huge effort uh, to allow for aid to get through to these people that so badly need it in Syria, which is taking a lot of negotiations, uh, considering that there are rebel-held areas, and this is an ongoing war zone as well. So uh, a double crisis for Syria unfolding there, and, and you're right, it is so important that they are not forgotten in this conversation.
0: Yeah, Lisette, thank you so much for your time uh, standing in what must be just a, a horrible sight, uh, which will be very, very hard to ever forget. That's uh, Lisette Raymer. It's 12 past five uh, here at First Up on RNZ uh, National with me, Nathan Rarere. Yeah, it's um, pretty sobering, isn't it, when you compare it to the uh, sizes of New Zealand cities there. We'll go to the United States now. Uh, I'm joined from New York by Bevan Hurley. Morena, Bevan, um, I saw President Biden the other day doing his State of the Union speech. I think there was some heckling going on there as well. But it, what is, is he going to run for president again?
2: Morena, Nathan, yes. uh, He put any doubts about whether or not he was going to be uh, running again in 2024 to bed at that State of Union address on Tuesday night. Um, This was not the sleepy, stuttery, or grumpy Joe that we sometimes see in those speeches and interviews. Um, Biden uh, really uh, impressed a lot of people. He, He leaned hard into his skill as an empathizer in chief, and he claimed credit for progress made on things like jobs and infrastructure during his first two years in office and all the while stressed that the job wasn't finished. And his message was one of optimism. And he (laughs) even cracked jokes and verbally jousted with Republicans as they were sort of hurling outburst jeers and and mocking laughter and calling him a liar and what have you. Um, And afterwards, he sort of glad-handed with lawmakers on the floor of the House for about half an hour. Um, And if there's one thing he knows uh, how to do after 36 years in the Senate, it's um, how to work a room. Um, While Biden has been enjoying um, some positive news of late, polls show that a majority of Americans don't believe he's accomplished much in office and many Democrats aren't thrilled at the prospect of him running for election either. He's um 80 now and he would be 86 at the end of a second term, but he doesn't appear to be showing any signs of burnout. Um, he addressed his age in an interview with the public broadcaster PBS last night where he said he would be completely, thoroughly honest with the American people if he thought there was any health problem that would keep him from doing, being able to do the job. And unlike in that crowded Republican field that we Discussed last week. Nathan, there's no chance of a Democrat trying to challenge him.
0: Ah, uh, there is, however, a chance of a, a giant balloon floating over a country and everybody freaking out. Tell me, what's the latest on the Chinese spy balloon situation?
2: So we learned uh, a few minutes ago from a newly declassified report that um, U.S. spy planes captured high-resolution images of this balloon as it was making its way across the continent to U.S. and it revealed, uh, well really confirmed, um, that this was uh, not just a weather balloon, this was capable of signals intelligence operations far beyond that. Um, the Pentagon had said earlier on Wednesday that the balloon was part of a large surveillance program that the Chinese military has been conducting for several years, it said that China China has flown dozens of similar missions worldwide, including half a dozen um, near or within U.S. airspace during the Trump and Biden administrations. And the U.S. has briefed dozens of countries about the program, which it says has been active over five continents. Um, it, we've also learned that the balloon was first detected by U.S. intelligence agencies on 27 January, which is a bit earlier than um, had previously been reported. But it wasn't flagged as an urgent concern, and no one seems to been alarmed by it until it's entered Alaskan airspace and took that sharp turn south um, and headed over um, some of those sensitive um, US sites, um, what authorities believe was a, sp- um, a-, a spying mission. Um, and in that same PBS interview last night, Biden offered an olive branch to his cha- Chinese counterpart, Xi Jinping. He said that the incident didn't need to worsen the already strained relations between the two countries. And he made it clear that um, the, to the, U- the Chinese president that the US would compete fully with China, but was not looking for conflict.
0: Mm. Uh, no Americans will care though because it's Super Bowl weekend. Uh, that's all they care about. They've got their Sunday. They've got their chicken wings. They've got their little stadiums made out of snacks. Uh, tell us how will you yeah. be spending Sunday?
2: Uh, I'll be um, I'll be definitely on the couch watching the Kansas City Chiefs take on the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, it, it, it's you know, one of those sports. It takes a little while to get to get your head around, but once once you're into it, you know it, it really is um, very entertaining. Um, and many expect the Super Bowl 57 to break the all-time viewing record of 114 million viewers um, set in 2015. That's in the in the domestic market, of course. Rihanna's performing at halftime and a 30-second commercial will set you back uh, seven million dollars US. Um, and then some intriguing battles um, within uh, this matchup. Um, we have the two outstanding quarterbacks in the game, Kansas City's Patrick Mahomes. And Philadelphia's Jalen Hurts, and they'll be making history um, as the first uh, black quarterbacks to start a season decider. It's also the first Super Bowl to put two brothers against each other. Um, Jason Kelsey plays centre for the uh, Eagles, and his younger brother Travis is a tight end for the Chiefs. And both players are arguably the best in their league. And their mum, Donna, is going to be wearing a custom-made half-red, half-green jersey with um, Travis's 87 number on the front and Jason's 62 on the back. Um, and it's going to be a close one, Nathan. I don't know if if you've got a, uh, a pick for the game.
0: Well, look, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, but the Philadelphia Eagles will win. Their big people are too big. <laughs> That's what they're going to But I will not be cheering for them. Yeah. Thank you, Bevan. Uh, There we are. There's Bevan Hurley, uh, who joins us from the Big Apple. 17 minutes past five here at First Up on RNZ National with me, Nathan Rariri. We're just encouraging you in the upper parts of the North Island, please get some supplies for now, eh? Uh, You know what will happen. You know what? New Zealanders are like, they won't try and get there until they see it for themselves. And then it's going to be one of those... Like pre lockdown rushes. So just uh, just get yourself sorted out. And, anyway, and if you get your provisions and it doesn't hit you, that's all right, you got some food. So, yeah, win win. Let's go to Africa now. Nabil Ahmed is our man in Ghana. And it's always a pleasure to get to say Morena uh, to Nabil. Uh, Nabil, Nigerian universities, uh, they've been ordered to close ahead of the country's general election. Why is that?
3: Well, it's just due to the volatile security situation in the country. Uh, You know that last week we spoke about the insecurity spreading in some parts of Nigeria uh, when there were reports of some attacks and also some kidnapping in some parts of the country. But we know that the Electoral Commission has insisted that it will go ahead with the election on the 25th of February. Now, authorities are worried that uh, while the election would go on, they cannot guarantee see the safety of students at the university and they've asked the schools to shut down uh, from the 22nd of February and they would come back sometime in March, 14th March. So the schools will be on break for about three weeks uh, just to protect the students uh, who the authorities cannot really guarantee uh, their safety, basically.
0: So if we go to Ethiopia now, so the Orthodox Church, I understand, is, is the largest uh, religious denom- denomination there. Why has Ethiopia banned some planned rallies by some of those Orthodox Church factions?
3: Well, um, aside the Orthodox Church, there is also a breakaway faction that was also trying to hold uh, the rally on the same day that the Orthodox Church is also going to hold uh, the rally. But then authorities say no permissions have been issued for both rallies to take place and they've warned citizens to keep off the venues. Now, this breakaway um, faction are accusing the main church, which is the Orthodox Church, of maintaining a system of uh, linguistic and cultural hegemony in which um, congregations are not served in their native languages. So these breakaway factions are actually trying to really preach the gospel through native languages and they feel the authorities should also do the same. Now, uh, authorities are also saying that uh, this particular confusion is being um, uh, brought uh, as a result of some foreign organizations and also some local groups that are also mooting this agenda of um, preaching in local languages.
0: I just want to talk about the story from Uganda, which I find amazing. So Uganda will impose fines on drivers if they don't have rubbish bins in their cars. Why?
3: Indeed, it's quite an interesting story because um, now private cars are supposed to now have rubbish bins in there. It's something that the country has been doing for commercial vehicles but now it is moving from commercial vehicles to now private individuals and people find it very absurd but then the uh, Environmental Management Agency of Uganda is saying this is part of the measures to keep the city clean because over time when people are in their cars and maybe they buy something they just throw it out of the window of their cars and it ends up literally in the whole city so now private vehicles are also supposed to have their beans and if they don't have the beans the rubbish beans they'll be fined up to one thousand six hundred and thirty dollars <laughs> and uh, <laughs> which is quite huge, but then aside of that, uh, they may be imprisoned if they are not able to pay the fine. Um, details of how this particular uh, the, uh, new law would be implemented is now coming up, and the authorities are trying to find their ways around it. Yeah, well, keep
0: Uganda clean. Thank you very much. That's Nabil out of Ghana. <laughs> Still to come on the program this morning, Glenn Forsyth, with your fruit and veg report and also an incredible uh, array of photographs. I've
4: lovely bunch
0: of there they are, in the rail. I like to imagine that this man's house has those big, giant uh, f- fruit and veggies that used to be a big fresh uh, That's what I would hope is in his lounge. It's the Minister of Fruit and Veggies, it's Glenn Forsyth. What in a glen. Well, then, Nathan, I loved those puppets. They were Weren't awesome. were they great? <laughs> By a carrot. That was great. Hey, tell us about this. Um, The
5: Fruit and Schools program is back. Yeah, yeah. Next week, the Fruit and Schools begin another year of providing a healthy snack of fresh fruit and vegetables each school day. Now, piloted in 25 schools in 2004, that's now grown to 21 regions across New Zealand, 566 schools, around 25% of New Zealand primary schools, over 120,000 children and staff, and over 27 million servings per year. So criteria for schools to join is decile one or two, years one to eight students. Ashley Della Bosca from Nelson's Vic- Victory Primary, she loves the way children learn about fractions when they chop the fruit up and energizes them at morning tea time. Now, kids get to try over two dozen produce items through the year, and five-plus-a-day research found 70% of children like eating fruit more and 37% for vegetables, all from the success of this program. So start them young seems to be the key. Yeah, good on them. Yeah, great program.
0: You mentioned veggies there. Uh, wow, this summer <laughs> apparently there's been a summer in the North <laughs> Island. Uh, anyway, look, yes. only a few weeks away from the end. What's good in the world of veggies?
5: Yeah, beginning with a couple of shortages. Even though adult spinach is okay, baby spinach that's missing in action. And cucumbers they've tightened up considerably. Here's some good news on loose tomatoes for the North Island, at least. A little birdie tells us the tells us the yellow sheds they'll be as low as four ninety nine a kilo. On the two-day weekend, that's like a two-for-one price deal compared to some other retails. Oakuni carrots, are just beginning, and cabbage, sweet corn, and beans, they're all in good supply. But it is the lovely courgette we want to push today. These are at their best and at super great pricing. Pretty sure Fruit World are only $2 for 600 gram. However, we rang Johnny Clark yesterday, one of our biggest courgette growers, the ever classy Woodhaven Gardens in Levin. His favourite ways to enjoy with a little oil, salt, and pepper sliced and grilled on the barbecue this weekend. And good he has good volumes through to April. The warmer nights are pumping them. He also loves them as a side dish, blanch them first. Then stir-fry a little fresh garlic and chilli with sesame oil. Join in the courgettes with some oyster sauce and they taste magnificent. And forgive yeah, forgive the dad jokes here, but uh, courgette is gorgeous. That's zucchini noodles and uh, so are is uh, zucchini fritters. Some great recipes online. So when courgettes can hit $30 a kilo in winter, you'd be crazy not to buy these right now.
0: Yeah, it'd be good to find a full-size courge. Um, tell me about this. New Zealand grapes, they're in store, aren't they?
5: Oh, summer, the season that just keeps on giving on the fruit arena. From Martin at Turner's Wellington this morning, black and green New Zealand grapes. It's a short, sharp season. They do have seeds, but the taste, flavour and aroma just blows you away. So that was his comments. And from Jamie in Auckland, dragon fruit from the Bay of Plenty has begun. Cut in half and scoop or as a treat with ice cream for the kids. Now, other picks available this weekend? The blueberries, check their bottoms too. Rockmelon in season. Royal Gala, some I've seen already as low as $3 a kilo. Now, avocados, we hope Cyclone Gabriel doesn't blow off the rest of their crop this season or decimate our kumras up there for this year. And on stone fruit, there are still cherries available, lots of apricots, some pearl white flesh nectarines, and plums, including the green gauge. A ripe green gauge is divine. Now, would you believe some Fijo has appeared today, but too early to really enjoy those yet? Uh, Fruit of the week, Nate, let's put it out there. what's your fruit of the week, Glenn? Watermelons. And very quickly, this from Leader Brandon Gisborne, who know their watermelons inside out. Look for the pink sticker. Each one is hand-picked, brushed, washed, dried, graded, and packed. Watermelons are about 90% water, so picking a heavy one means it should be nice and juicy, nicer to eat chilled. A cut watermelon lasts about three to five days in the fridge, Best to store pieces in uh, airtight containers. Now you can freeze pieces uh, for smoothies, uh, made into sorbet, and and surprisingly makes a good ingredient for some cakes and salads. So yeah, get get into your watermelon.
0: Good with vodka. Cool. Thank you uh, very much, Glenn. There he is, Glenn Forsyth, uh, Minister of Fruit and Vegetables. sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. The day of our life we call the 10th of February. Happy birthday to you, Laura Dern, big listener of the show, probably. Uh, 56 years old today, one of my first sports heroes, Mark Spitz. 73 years old today he is, and Roberta Flack, the beautiful voice of Roberta Flack, uh, 86 years old today. On this day in 1940, one of... uh, Gee, people used to sit around and love the bullying on this one. Tom and Jerry, um, uh, William Hanna and Joseph Barbera debuted it by MGM and it went fairly well for them, I would say. On this day in 1942, Glenn Miller was awarded the first ever gold record. So that was selling one million copies. And the first ever gold record was Chattanooga Choo Choo. Hmm. Uh, Duct tape invented on this day by Vesta Stout who noticed that the way that ammunition boxes were sealed made them really difficult to open so she went off and developed that waterproof terrible cloth to solve the problem Uh, and that was on this day in 1943 Uh, On this day in 1979 the movie The Warriors came out Uh, that was one of the first films I ever remember us watching when we got a VHS machine And just think, I was fascinated by that. It was actually massively successful for the amount of money they spent on it. So just pretty much guys running through New York trying to escape other gangs. And on this day in 1996, the IBM computer Deep Blue became the first computer to win a game of chess against a reigning human chess champion, Gary Kasparov. And of course now those robots, they're running and they're like dogs and they climb stairs and open cans and do it all. But that's the start of it. Deep Blue, and that's this day we call the 10th of February. With us from the business team, I want to try and keep it technical here with this artificial intelligence type thing. Uh, we've just heard about Deep Blue. It's Anand Zaki. Curious, sir, tell me about this Google's AI bot because it's all about these chat GPT things recently. It made a mistake and it
6: seems to have cost um, the share price uh, with that mistake. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, Google. Uh, is trying to reassure investors uh, after an advert um, which was designed to show off its new AI bot uh, showed it answering a query wrong which is not what you really want uh, (laughs) when you want to show off your uh, brand new AI especially uh, not to um it was around the same time as when Microsoft uh, released its AI chatbot so uh terrible timing on Google's part uh and yesterday, uh, Google's parent company Alphabet lost 100 billion US dollars in market value. Uh, they were down more than seven percent. And just looking at my screen earlier, they were down uh, more than four uh, percent today as well. So, in a Twitter advert, uh, Twitter advert for the bot, uh, which is called Bard, uh, it was asked about what to tell a nine-year-old about. The uh, discoveries from the James Webb Space Telescope, hmm. and the bot responded by saying that the telescope was the first to take pictures of a planet outside the Earth's uh, outside the Earth's solar system. Uh, when in fact, the first time it actually happened was in two thousand four by the European Very Large Telescope. Yeah, that's the name of it. <laughs> um, and uh, astronomers picked that up very quickly. They were like, well, you know, do, do some basic fact-checking. Uh, checking, uh, you know, you're a new AI bot and investors. Uh, they were given a presentation. They were very un- underwhelmed by it as well and uh, just don't seem very happy about the situation.
0: Yeah, well, I would imagine so. Oh, they, they, they love their share prices there. Um, let's have a look at this here. The number of first-home buyers is at a record
6: high. That's right. Um so this is a bit of a good good some good news on the first home buyer front. Um number of first time buyers now at a record level. Um they account for about a quarter of the market at the moment while mortgaged uh, multiple property owners uh, they're running at about 21%. So CoreLogic the property research company they say um, it's um, mainly because financing and other costs are just proving to be too much for many investors needing a loan. Um, they say it's tough for residential property to really make sense as a good investment, considering the minimum 40% deposit uh, investors need to get a, get for a, a bank mortgage, unless it's a new build. Uh, so if you're not an investor, you will generally need uh, around 20% for your deposit. So, all these uh, factors mean first home buyers are having more luck, uh, which is a bit of a change.
0: Yeah, it is. Thank you very much. Ananzaki. here. You can hear more from the business team on Morning Reports today at 10 to 7. So, on the money markets front, let's have a look at this. Your New Zealand dollar is worth 63.65 US cents, 91.18 Australian cents, 59.07 Euro cents, 52.27 British pence, 4.31 yuan, 83.27 Japanese. Yen, and you will need two New Zealand dollars to buy a packet of rations from the uh, machine here on level two of the Radio New Zealand building. The White Ferns start their T20 World Cup campaign with the toughest assignment in cricket the White Ferns take on the five time champions Australia. in the opening pool in South Africa on Sunday morning. So New Zealand's made the final of the first two tournaments, but then failed to get past pool play in the last two. For many years, the White Ferns have relied on the opening batters Sophie Devine and Susie Bates to get them off to a good start if they're to challenge the other top sides. However, batter, wicketkeeper Maddie Green doesn't think that's the case now.
7: Yeah, I think it's probably fair to say a few years ago that we were really reliant on the likes of Susie and Sophie and and Amy Satterthwaite as well, and I think it's just part of the evolution of the professionalism of women's cricket in New Zealand um, that we are building more depth not only just in the White ferns, but in, in women's domestic cricket in New Zealand as well. And those three girls were probably some of the only girls in on our team that were truly professional cricketers. So there was a bit of a gulf between their skill set and some of the other members of our squad. But, you know, I think it's been fantastic in the last few years. We've had more of our, our girls on professional full-time contracts, and I think we've seen the skill level of the broader squad, probably myself included in that, sort of, we started to close the gap. When did the wicketkeeping come about? I think you're a slow bowler and there's thing to start. How has that come about? And that's your gig now, isn't it? Yeah, I think obviously Bernadine uh Bazadin over here as well and, and she's a keeping specialist and I think Ben sort of had a look at how the black caps have approached their T twenty squad and Devin Conway is not necessarily a specialist wicketkeeper, but he's a batter that can stand behind the wickets and do a good job. So I think in squads in the past, I've sort of been, if we've only picked one specialist keeper, I've sort of been nominated to be backup. And Ben sort of said to me earlier on in the season that he just wants me to keep working at that and, and try to keep building that skill set in terms of just adding balance to the side and being able to play, you know, our best batting lineup, not necessarily having a specialist wicketkeeper in the lineup, you know, just helps with the batting balance, I suppose, in our squad, and um, you know, I can imagine that if Bernie is in our squad, playing Levin is better, that she's going to be the wicketkeeper, because she's certainly a lot better than me. Okay, so this World Cup, are we uh, looking at the usual suspects? Australia, England, India? I think so. We've sort of seen those three teams being pretty dominant in this format in the last few years and Australia they've always been sort of at the forefront of women's cricket, particularly in the last five years, they're a very strong side, they're obviously current holders of the T20 World Cup and 50 over World Cup in the Commonwealth Games so they're probably the ones with the target on their backs so if you like from most other teams will be trying to chase them down And but in saying that India is a serious team We're sort of seeing the growth in Indian women's cricket that's only just going to explode after the, the Women's Premier League kicks off this year and in England are another quality side have really benefited from um, the establishment of the 100 in the last couple of years. I think we've seen some really talented cricketers come through come through that competition too. So yeah, for me those are sort of the th- three top sides, but in saying that you really can't discount South Africa at home in their own conditions um, they've got some world-class players that are really experienced. Generally the wickets there seem to be more suited to the, to the slow bowlers. I probably did expect the wickets to be a little bit more seam friendly, but Certainly in the practice matches that we've played on so far, the wickets have been sort of lower and slower. And I think, obviously, it's the back end of the South African cricket season. So potentially the wickets are, are slightly more tired, I suppose. We've obviously played our practice matches and we're not playing any of our, our full matches, if you like, on these wickets. So we're just going to have to adapt to whatever is um, put in front of us. I think we've seen in women's cricket, spin bowling has been such a huge part of the game. And I think this tournament's probably not going to be any different than that.
0: White Ferns batter Maddie Green talking there to Barry Guy. To to on Here's what you
8: need to
0: know. It's Clay Wilson with All We Need To Know This Morning. Kia ora, sir, how are you? Kia ora. good, Friday has arrived. Yeah, I, just, I was flicking through my TV last night I'm like, sort of a, a Warriors game? It's pre-season time, isn't it? I was driving in, and I thought, (laughs) I forgot about that. And what do
9: you know, a huge win for the Warriors last night, 48-12. It is just Mm pre-season, but... You know, Warriors fans, they're optimistic people, aren't they? They've
0: stuck behind that team <laughs> okay, through no, 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 look, a lot. No, Clay, don't do it. I care about you. OK, don't. I'm it's, not going to say the words. You are, you going to say, gonna the, say I, is this how?" year, don't. But it's impossible no. when you see a result like that
9: not to think it, isn't it? <laughs> Everyone's thinking it. It's has the elephant in the room. Has there ever been a team that's sold losing like they have? Mm, yeah, no, I'm not sure there I has. I do think there ever has been, no. no. that They're a modern marvel, that team, <laughs> and, 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 how, and how well they're still supported. You have to give it up to their, to their fans. Yeah. I think there's not a huge amount of expectation there this year is they obviously mm. got a new coach coming on board. They've had a bit of a clean-out, brought some new players on board. But, hey, you can only, you know, do what's in front Exactly, who's in front of you. And a 30-odd point win
0: to, to start the, the pre-season is... Is as good
9: as you could hope for, probably.
0: Yeah, it's 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 amazing, isn't it? I mean, the weather is okay. Well, obviously, we've got a cyclone coming, but apart from that, it's very hot <laughs> out there. And I saw they're playing their pre seasons. You got the Aussies, Aussie teams there, and then you have got the Super Rugby teams out there as well. It uh, it, it just seems like a crazy time to me to, just, to to be having very very large human beings running around in, in, in extreme heat. Yeah, you have to think it
9: must be hard work for especially those the big fellas up front. Yeah. running around, charging around in that kind of
0: heat. But I know. Hey, you know, I guess they get paid pretty well to do it so yeah now um the coaching saga for the all blacks has been interesting this week with scott robertson dropping a little bomb in there and what have you but um the black ferns coach to be named today i saw Ruhe demont saying the other night she wanted it to happen
9: yes yeah, so so this is uh, obviously the replacement for wayne smith who mm. who was amazing in leading that team to that world cup success last year but he's he's stepping away so they're going to name the new coach will be interesting to see who it is obviously they've got some people that have we're part of that environment Who whose names jump out immediately. You think about uh, Alan Bunting, who, of course, is the, the man that led the, the Black Ferns 7s yeah. to such great success and is so well loved and liked by those players. He's in there. Wes Clark has been an assistant coach yes. and a prominent figure in that team for quite a while. And then, of course, you have Whitney Hanson, who's Steve Hanson's daughter, who's done really great things with the Ford pack of that Blackferns team last year and in the World Cup. So three, three kind of people there you think about. Um, so we'll see. That's going to be announced later later this morning but yeah it is a bit is a bit of a shame because you do feel like it is going to be overshadowed somewhat by this this ongoing saga with the all blacks and when are they going to do it and who's it going to be and who's it not going to be and all this kind kind of thing it's um seems to be yeah (laughs) it seems to be sort of dragging on doesn't it but um hopefully in some stage in the next fortnight or so with the all blacks at least we might have some kind of clarity at least when it's when it's happening, At least we, that, I, nice. I mean, some kind of information, I guess, would be would be good because it's just that the the void of information means it gets filled by, you know, like Sam Kane was up yesterday for the Chiefs, and of course the first thing he's being asked is, you know, what do you think about what's
0: going on? And <laughs> he's like, I haven't even played a preseason game for the Chiefs yet. it's yeah, down the road, his, so.
9: and he's saying basically, I just don't want it to be a distraction if it, you know, if we can avoid it. So, yeah. You know, it's it's uh, something that's going to roll on for a little while. Yeah, that's
0: so what they do. Clay, thank you very much for your time, sir. Cheers, mate. Uh, there we go. Yeah, Clay Wilson there with all that's good in sport. the ACT Party reckon that students uh, don't need to earn the new $22.70 minimum wage to get by, so uh, ACT's Deputy Leader, Brooke Van Felden, tells us if she could. And uh, also, we've got a really interesting uh, interview live in studio this morning with some of the most incredible photographs in New Zealand history. The professionals of RNZ, the Morning Report team, set to go after six. Guy and over with a a preview of what we've got today, Kia ora, How
4: are you, Kia ora, I'm, I'm well, thank you, Nathan. Yeah, we're going to be obviously concentrating on these warnings about the cyclone Gabriel, uh, from early Sunday. We're going to check in with the Far North Mayor and Auckland Emergency Management about the preparations that they're doing. I mean, it's being described as one of the possibly one of the more serious storms it of the century. It looks massive. Yes, bigger than Queensland. Yeah, so we got we, we got we got to take these days oh. to prepare as a message It's going to be. It's fine in Auckland this morning. Mm. Um, and uh, Saturday too so the message is take that time to prepare and clear the gutters and make sure you've got things tied down because it looks like it's going to be pretty serious. We check in on Turkey, um, harrowing scenes out of there uh, 20,000 dead is the prediction there and many, many hundreds of thousands without shelter. Uh, we're also looking at this issue of 3,000 vulnerable children not enrolled with a GP so we'll uh, check out why that is and uh, what can be so done about that Yeah, I guess that. that's a big big impact on, off it's like
0: a that. $70 cover charge to go yeah
4: yeah so um we'll we'll be looking at that issue yeah. um and something that Peter was touching on there in the news Netflix cracking down on on sharing your, uh, their accounts is it are you a share your account with, it, with no. everyone going man or not no, no because I know people that make programs and
0: I know that people have this whole oh I should get it for free and it's like how do you think those programs get yeah. paid for yeah, exactly. How
4: do you think? Yeah. so, so you, you stick to you stick to one account per household. Yes, yeah? I do. Yeah, good on yeah, you. I'm that one. Good <laughs> on you. We might talk to you then after. <laughs> yes, Cheers, thank man. you very
0: much. Uh, Prime Minister Chris Hipkins announced yesterday that the minimum wage for New Zealand workers will increase by a dollar fifty in April. Uh, the seven percent increase is still below inflation, but it brings the minimum wage to twenty two seventy. So, speaking to media yesterday, ACT leader David Seymour said it means that employees are going to be earning more. Than business owners, and it said it will push prices up. But who could live on that on this day and age, really? 2270 uh, with us is uh, Act Party Deputy Leader Brooke Van Velden. Brooke, thank you for being there for being here with us. 2270 an hour, could could you live on that?
10: Oh, look, I don't think this is a question about whether or not I could live on it. I think a lot of people in New Zealand uh, do live on minimum wage. Um, And we have to allow people to make ends meet. But I think the question here in my mind is not whether or not somebody could live on that amount of money, it's where that money is coming from. And a lot of what the government is doing here is adding another cost on struggling business owners uh, who really just can't afford it at the moment. And act solution as an alternative has been to say, well, if we have a carbon tax coming through in the form of the ETS, let's give everybody uh, a refund, a carbon tax refund in the form of a credit, uh, and that goes right into every person's bank account. And for the family of four, uh, that's around $1,500 per year uh, that could go to somebody who is on minimum wage and that's not adding another cost onto a small business owner who's really struggling and we know that about 30 percent of retail businesses don't know if they'll survive in the next 12 months it's been really hard out there and it's better to have jobs to go to than to force more costs onto these employers who are really struggling.
0: Yeah, but if you're only earning twenty two seventy an hour, you're probably needing lots of different jobs to go to, and a lot of these people are starting out. They've got a student loan that people didn't used to have, so you know you're starting in the hole quite massively. You got those to pay for. Rents are very high now because every time anything happens, it gets passed on to people. So uh, I, I think that's why there is that that concern um, that that even twenty two seventy, it's it's you're not living the life of Riley on that.
10: Uh, no, it it is a struggle uh, for for people um, throughout New Zealand with the cost of living pressure and prices going up and up and up. Um, everybody is is feeling the pinch. Um, but what I want to see is an economy where people have jobs to go to, uh, rather than people shutting up shop because every year the government is slapping them with another. Uh, added cost, another added pressure that's making it harder for a business owner to actually take a chance on someone and even give them a a job in the first place to go to. You know, we constantly hear from business owners who do pay themselves less than minimum wage, who are taking out personal loans to keep their businesses afloat, um, who just say, well, it's just feeling like it's getting a little too tough. Uh, And every time the government puts on an added cost, Uh, where I'm not actually seeing um, added profits come into my business, it takes a little bit away of that slice and it feels like we need to shut up shop. That's not a strong productive economy. If we can find other ways to increase uh, what people uh, feel like they're earning in their own back pocket, uh, we have to do that in other ways rather than smacking small business. And that's through uh, giving people a carbon tax rebate Uh, So every time they fuel up at the pump, they know that they're getting taxed for their carbon, uh, but they can also have that money come into their own back pocket uh, through a refund. Uh, And that's $1,500 right into the hand of a family of four every year. Uh, And we can also lower the income tax by stopping wasteful spending in our economy by the government. Uh, These are added costs that go onto people's back pocket Uh, And we want to see people earning uh, more of what they actually earn uh, right back to them, but without punishing uh, small business owners for wanting to take a chance on someone
0: yeah Brooke thank you very much for your time this morning sorry we've got to wrap it up there um, get your sandbags out and I hope you're safe there in Epsom of course where Brooke is uh, big weather arriving uh, for us very soon at the top of the North Island or, or somewhere in there uh, but look we're moving on because this is amazing if you're a Kiwiana fan there's a million reasons to head online an archive of rare 19th and 20th century New Zealand photographs worth a fortune is on the market so the pictures include some really amazing historic moments uh, remember the, the, the bombing of the Rainbow Warrior the 19th 1981 Springbok tour protests, at least a million others, and I'm not just plucking that out of the sky, actually a million, uh, many pictures there in the archives. Um, Arguably the story of how they ended up on the market is actually even far more interesting And joining us now. uh, Live in studio, thank you very much, Daniel Miller, for being up at at stupid o'clock. It's not good to be up now. Nathan, good to see you. uh, From the Duncan Miller Gallery uh, in Los Angeles. How do these pictures end up on the open market? This
8: is a very, very strange story. So... These pictures were sent by Fairfax Media to be digitized in the U.S. about 10 years ago. Hmm. And then they got stuck. They got stuck through a bankruptcy. They got stuck through some fraud around the edge of it. And they got stuck in bureaucratic nightmare. And they got stuck and privately owned and repossessed by a bank that was lent money against them. (laughs) The spin of the story is absolutely insane. Yeah. We were called in at the very last minute to rescue them because it was easier for the bank to send them to landfill and deduct the the note that they were owed against them than it was to try to sell them. Hmm. So they were, we were the last people standing before land. The, the history of the country had a chance to go to landfill. So about how many images have you got there? You're close. About It's about 1.4 million, but it's hard to count. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of photo albums. It's <laughs> a, a lot of pictures.
0: So, um, what sort of, I mean, what sort of price do you put on something like this? Do you think for them selling for?
8: Well, we had to buy it. Yeah. So, and it was quite expensive. The bank was owed fourteen million. Now, we didn't pay them all fourteen million. We paid them a lot of money. And our, our my idea was. Well, one of the institutions here is going to want them all. It's going to be an easy thing. Mm-hmm. We're just going to transfer them over to an institution, and then we're done. So I thought, oh, two months, we're done. Right. And that was a couple of years ago. Okay. <laughs> it was not easy. But when we found some of these, they, had, you know, they were stored terribly. They had black mold on some of them. They were just, just, these weren't respected. They weren't understood. How, are there favourite ones for you
0: that stand out? I mean, there must be, I mean, there's an incredible amount, but there must be some that move you or speak to you a little
8: more. Well, you know, it's so hard because, first of all, obviously. I'm not a Kiwi. Mm. But when I see some of the ones that are just very, very interesting, the tragic ones are the 31 earthquake, Mm -hmm. the Hawke's Bay earthquake, tragic people displaced. And it wasn't just the earthquake. It was a fire after the earthquake. And a lot of people forget that was what caused a lot of the real problems. Mm. So the documenting of that, very, very interesting. We have a collection. We extracted about 5,300 Maori photographs and we're... I, I've commented before, we're sending this to an institution. We're not selling them. They're going to go to an institution en masse. We're not going to split them up. We're not going to auction them. Mm. So we're, we're hunting for the right institution right now. It's very yeah. interesting.
0: And they were always so stoic, weren't they? Because were
8: those, those old cameras where you had to sit incredibly still? That's where everyone had that face, right? Yeah, well, you're talking. these are silver gelatin lab-made prints. Nothing's digital in the archive. <laughs> the last photo was made 25 years ago, Wow. the most recent.
0: So, I mean, what happens to the images that you don't sell? They're they're not like they landfill.
8: No, no, we're not, we won't let anything go to landfill. Uh, I mean we're working with a, many libraries. We started this process. We we first bought the Sydney Morning Herald archive a mm. few years before this. And I'm happy to say we're in about 75 New Zealand excuse me, 75 Australian institutions. So many of the libraries and museums in Australia have gotten this work and it's fantastic. It's my best day when we can place work into a public institution. Now that said, there's a lot of misunderstanding. There's about 10 million photographs in 35 different New Zealand institutions similar to this set of work. Mm. Not this set of work, but similar to it. There's a lot of photographs here. The, pho- the respect for photographic heritage in New Zealand is like no other. Mm. Yeah, they always talk about time machines. When are we getting them? We've already got them,
0: haven't we? Those—that's the look back in time to those images yes. that, that you're, you know that you've got on your hands here, right? I mean, I was just wondering. I remember I had a uh, uh, some friends that collected comic books and they, you know, kept it in like a humidor sort of room. The storage of these photographs. How do you look after that?
8: It, well, I, I tell you, when we found them, they were stored terribly. They were shipped terribly, stored terribly. So I bought a warehouse. Then I had to climatize the warehouse. <laughs> There's an app on my phone. I checked this morning. It's 41% humidity in the warehouse. Photographs love 41% humidity. They, they, they thrive in this thing because they don't get moldy. Yeah. They're, they're very stable. But these, I, I say, I joke, not really. These are like in a spa. They're kind of in a photo spa right now, recovering from years of just neglect. And we're fixing them. And my goal is to get every one of them back here Mm. in the right place. And it's complicated. So we're we're doing auctions uh, that help support our mission because you know, retrofitting a warehouse is quite expensive. Buying these photographs was expensive. So we're doing single-piece auctions. Tonight we close an auction on literary New Zealand. I have to tell you, that was really interesting to me because we went through about 12,000 photographs to pick out 450 wow. of the famous literary people in new zealand i think there's about 87 that are on auction that closes tonight at eight o'clock and people can still find it they can if they google the fairfax archives they'll, they'll find us but uh the literary figures it's really fantastic when you look at these people and what they've written here yeah i mean i i think it's so you asked me what's interesting what's interesting is the amount of literary background that exists in new zealand i had no idea yeah, Well, look, Daniel, um, thank you for being
0: here. You've probably got to go to the golf course now because that's normally what people do before they get married in the afternoon. Well, it's before the rain. Isn't
8: yeah. it? <laughs> before the marriage too, right? <laughs> yes, thank you. But yes.
0: like Daniel came in on his wedding day uh, to to talk to us. So thank you uh, very much. Congratulations too. I hope, the, uh, hope everything goes well for Nathan, you. Nathan, thanks for having me. Cheers. There you are. Uh, Daniel Miller from the Duncan Miller Gallery there of Los Angeles. Incredible photographs. Yes, just playing you out with some music there of Burt Bacharach. Uh, of course, the planet lost him overnight. Morning repeat. Uh, Morning Report next with Marnie and Guy on. Yes, from all of us here at First Up. Have a wonderful day.